do the each day report of why you're thankful. So you should be on day 25, right? Some of you have been doing that, I know. And that's a good exercise to do. Um, I want to talk about today um, a Thanksgiving theme. And, and it's right here in our text in First Thessalonians chapter 1. And um, one of the things we've been seeing in chapter 1 of First Thessalonians is... Um, what Paul has written out to commend the believers for responding to the gospel. Now, let's get this straight again. It's not, it's not about the believers so much as it is the work started in them. God's work through Jesus that started in these people's lives, these young believers, and they just started responding to Jesus Christ in their lives. And he commends them for this. He says, way to go. This is good. This is it. We want to see this work of faith, labor of love, and endurance of hope in your lives. And, and that's what they've been showing. And so he commends them. And this is um, their uh, response to the gospel has spurred on thanksgiving in the heart of Paul. And that's what ought to happen in us. Here's, here's, uh, here's real significance in thanksgiving i know we're all grateful for a a boatload of turkey on uh and and dressing dressing (laughs) you got to have the dressing and the cranberry all that we're all grateful for that but we've got to go below that surface way below that surface and see here's what god would have us be most grateful for uh in this keeping track of what you're thankful for uh, i noticed on facebook our daughter-in-law kimberly um said this she wrote this down on facebook your niece your niece yes okay got that straight she said today i'm thankful for hope this is like last week uh things can always be better tomorrow good simple statement from a, uh, a budding writer in Kimberly. Simple statement. I'm th- today I'm thankful for hope. Things can always be better tomorrow. And I don't see that as putting your hope in tomorrow. We need to put our hope in the person of Jesus Christ. Okay? And tomorrow uh, will be better. Why? Not because we know the song that Annie sings in the musical, tomorrow, tomorrow, I love you tomorrow. Not because of that, not self-generated, but it's because of the person of Jesus Christ. Okay? And that, maybe that seems too simplistic. But the more we will focus on the person of Jesus Christ in our lives, the more we're going to... uh, Love and adore Him and appreciate Him and grow in Him. All those things will come. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. That doesn't mean riches and prosperity. Duh. It's not going to be that. It's, it's really about your growing in the things of God and drawing near to 
a, an in, just a, an amazing Savior. And here's the thing. I want to talk to you about what we ought to be thankful for, but you know what? We don't really get it. We don't really put the dots together about how serious our sin is to God. I'm kind of jumping the gun here, I realize, on my message, but... If, we'll, if we understand the seriousness of sin before God, there ought to be a, a, a true desire for repentance on our part. And that's not just a surfacey thing. Okay? That, that should not be just a, oh, a flippant kind of a thing. And not that you have to get really down in the groveling to ask God for help in it, because He's already forgiven you, Christian. He's already forgiven you of your sins. And thus it's a matter of just confessing your sin to Him. Okay? And so, what we need to understand here as we uh, move into this, what, what are we really, what should we really uh, be thankful for? It gets back to, this verse, verse 10, we left it off last week on purpose because I, I felt like what better thing to say to each other, this is what we ought to be thankful for. And here it is. Verse, I'm going to pick it up in verse 9, in the middle of verse 9. And how you turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, that is Jesus who rescues us from the wrath to come. You know what? There's this um, trio of, of traits that we are, I already mentioned. Uh, the work of faith, the labor of love, and the what? The endurance of hope. Those three things pop up here in verse 9. Do you see that? Look at verse 9 and 10. It, these pop up again. Okay? How you turned to God. There's, there's the work of faith. Has that happened in your life? And um, you turn to God from idols to serve. Here's the labor of love. You keep on doing this. To serve a living and true God. And to wait. Here's the endurance of hope. And to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead. That is Jesus, who rescues us from the wrath to come. So according to 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 10... What gives the child of God reason to hope? Are we just all of a sudden kind of sprinkled with fairy dust and, oh, everything's happy and Jesus loves you? Is that what happens? What gives the child of God reason to hope? And there's three things in this verse that tell us. Okay? Three things. So, number one is the promise of His return. Bless you. The promise of His return. And that is what starts it. Remember we read in Acts chapter 1 about the angel coming to those guys and they're looking up in the sky like, what in the world just happened? Jesus ascended and he, the angel tells him, hey, you know what? Just like He left, He's gonna come again. Here's another issue, another little, another little uh, uh, 
hot button for us. It ought to be. We're just not that excited about his return. We're just not that excited about his return. Are we? You know, think about it. How does my life, what does my life show? If you were to, you know, if we were to put, you know, here's the last week of Woody Swenson's life on the screen or your life on the screen and kind of watch and see. Was there evidence of being excited about his return? So here's the thing. Here's the reminder again. Paul was highlighting the fact that these folks were truly changed by the gospel. They're truly changed by the gospel. How they turned to God. Now they're serving the living and true God. And they wait for His Son from heaven. And the idea here is to live, not sit around and wait. Where is that guy? He's supposed to pick me up, you know. I'm getting gripey, complaining. Not that kind of a waiting. Anxiety comes in there also. But no, it's a waiting expectantly. Oh, is he coming? You know, I'm, I'm excited about, you know, it's like this at Christmas time or Thanksgiving time. Our kids come home from college. We're excited about that. We look forward to that. Other things that you look forward to, you're excited about. When you stop and think about it, Why would you be excited about Jesus returning? You don't have to answer that now. That's for you to think about. Are we? Or do we have plans that, I don't want him to come back quite yet. I'm getting married here. I'm not wanting him to come back quite yet. You don't think that at all. I won't put you on this. Where's Wade? Okay, over there too. Got to spread it evenly here. I know when I was there, I was thinking that. Don't come yet, Lord Jesus. I want to get married to my wife. <laughs> but see, that we understand that. But there's other things that pop up. It's like, no, I, I, he, no I've got a plan or I've got an agenda. No, 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 he can't. No. It's, it's something that ought to be, we ought to be wanting, waiting for, and excited about at any moment. The Thessalonian believers... We're waiting for God's Son from heaven, to return from heaven. Which pointed to this possibility of His coming during their lifetime. During their lifetime. Do I need to say it again? During their lifetime. Any, any moment. It's what it, it, it's known in um, theology books and commentaries as the imminent... Return of the Lord Jesus. The imminent, that's with the I, the imminent return. Any moment, the return of the Lord. And you say, well, it's here in verse 10, I see it here, but what, do you, what are you getting at? I mean, is, that, is this just kind of building a theology on one little verse? No, it's not. Because you can... Mark these references down if you want. Luke chapter 12, verse 36. And you yourselves be like men who wait for their master. Romans eight twenty three. Waiting for the adoption. Waiting for the adoption. The redemption of our body. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six. For as often as you 
eat this bread and drink this cup, you what? You proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Second Corinthians 5, 2. For in this we groan earnestly, desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. Galatians 5, 5. For we, through the Spirit, eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. Philippians 3.20 We also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Chapter 4, verse 5 The Lord is at hand. Titus 2.13 Looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Hebrews 9.28 To those who eagerly wait for Him, He will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. James 5, 7 through 9. Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. For the coming of the Lord is at hand. The judge is standing at the door. 1 Peter 4, 7. But the end of all things is at hand. 1 John 3, 3. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Jude 21. Looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Revelation chapter 3. Verse 11, I am coming quickly. Revelation 22, 7, behold, I am coming quickly. In chapter 22, verse 12, and behold, I am coming quickly. 22, verse 20, surely, quickly, amen, even so, come Lord Jesus. So that was not just one little verse that we grabbed a hold of and said, oh, let's make up this theology. The imminent return of Jesus Christ. So we wait expectantly. We ought to be thinking of this in terms of excitement. And it ought to, what? Purify our lives. Purify our attitudes, our behavior, our conduct. Why? Because at any moment, the trumpet could sound. At any moment, the body of Christ be gathered together miraculously. Why is that so hard versus something like we celebrate at Christmas, the Incarnation? That was a miracle. And yet somehow we kind of think, oh, this rapture business, that's, that's kind of a stretch. Why? God's in control. God spoke and the worlds became what they are. God spoke and it, it came into order. Genesis chapter 1 and 2. And Psalm 33, he spoke and it was done. Look at Jesus and what he did. He spoke and healed someone on the spot. He didn't have to rub oil on the person or whatever. It happened on the spot as he wanted it to. And so, this is what gives me hope. And I hope this is what gives you hope as you deal with things in life, do you think these people in Thessalonica had stuff to deal with? Or do you think they just sat around? Now, some of them, listen, some of them in this church did try and sit around. And Paul got on them. He said, no, 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 you can't just sit around. If any man doesn't work, he's not going to eat. So get busy. But while you're staying busy working, wait for the coming. Of the sun from heaven. That gives hope. Secondly. The second thing that gives us hope. According to First Thessalonians. Verse, uh, chapter 1 verse 10 is. 
Look at it. And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead. Okay? So it's the power of the resurrection. The power of the resurrection, whom he raised from the dead. We, as Christians, this is what we stand on. Is Christ raised from the dead or not? If he's not, then our faith is what? Vain. Empty. Nothing. Nada. Give it up, go home, and don't even bother. If he's not raised from the dead. And there's all sorts of uh, evidences of this being true. And I like this. This one is on my mind a lot lately. And it's the issue of why then, if it's not true, did these guys who saw him give their lives up for him? No one will give their, their life up for a lie. No one. So, if you're here this morning and you're still not a believer in Jesus Christ, don't, people don't think that everyone that just walks in these doors are all believers. Don't think that. And I want to implore you If you're here this morning and you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, you have to deal with the resurrection being the main piece of evidence. What do you do with a risen living Savior? And Christian, it goes for us too. What do we do with a living risen Savior? How do we live our lives in light of this truth? Are we just kind of moping around still? And God help me, God help us. To recognize this is what we stand on. This is what we stand on. We don't have to fight for anything more. Because why? Jesus rose up from the grave. And he lives forevermore. And so this is, uh, you know, I said earlier, for the, the promise of his return is an eminent return. Well, the power of his resurrection is an incorruptible resurrection. This is not going to be a resurrection that kind of fades that all of a sudden, oh, now Jesus is, is no longer alive. He, he, he lived for a while and oh, now he's dead. No, no. It's an incorruptible resurrection. What does that mean for you in your life as we go? He's still the same because it's an incorruptible resurrection. Listen to what Peter said from 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope. A living hope. A living hope! What does that do? Okay. How? How how did that happen? He goes on to say, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The living hope that you and I can say we have is because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. His resurrection is power for your life now, today. It's the power behind living for Him. See, the Christian life is not about you you get in the grade, you got the A-plus grade that Jesus gave, and, you know, the rest of us got C's. You know what? You all, as a Christian, no matter what you've done, no matter what you've done, you have an A-plus grade because of Jesus, not because of what you've done. 
You're, you stand in his grace. Romans chapter 5. You stand in his grace. And it's not, it's, it should not have a big question mark over your life. It's a, it's a fact. He said, he didn't say maybe you'll stand in his grace. No, the Christian stands in his grace. That's your spot. There it is. And you stand in it. And you don't have to prove anything more to God. Does God want you to grow in your faith? Say yes. He wants you to grow in your faith. Okay? But as far as, you know, you climbing that ladder of success with God, you don't have to do that because Jesus already did it. He already accomplished it. And now, in our lives now, there's still the responsibilities, if you will, of saying, will you live a resurrected life? Or are you going to take advantage of His grace? Shall we keep on sinning that grace might abound? May it never be. And so your life is directed towards the power source, the power of His resurrection. Romans chapter 6. Mark it down. Mark it down. Romans chapter 6. I'm going to read a portion of it. You follow along. Romans chapter 6, verse 9 through 14. Knowing, listen, this is, this is incredible if we'll just let it sink through our brains and to our hearts. It's incredible. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, already done, is never to die again. An incorruptible resurrection. Incorruptible. It will not defile. Death no longer is master over him. Verse 10. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God, key word, in. In Christ Jesus. The believer is in Christ Jesus. Why is it that we have people thinking that they've got to do something more to get more and more and more spiritual. It's a, it's a fine line of balance. And what we've got to remember is, you already, as a child of God, you're already standing in His grace. And here, with the issues of temptation and sin, temptation to sin, therefore, do not let Sin, verse 12, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lusts. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who are, what? Alive from the dead. You think about that? Here's a day. You, you wake up. It's a beautiful day. Thanksgiving morning. Isn't it? Yeah, there's something special about that. Okay? And on top of it, all the aromas of the meal. Yeah, it's great. Do I think about presenting myself to him as an instrument of righteousness? That's what he wants. Your body, present it to him as an instrument of righteousness. Dedicate the day to him. That's what we say. And then it goes on to say, for sin shall not be master over you. Why? Because of the resurrection. You put your faith in Jesus Christ. 
What has he accomplished? Your justification. You put faith in him. Romans 5 tells us. By faith we are now justified. And thus we have peace with God. Okay? So, here's the the power of his resurrection right here. That gives us hope. Gives us hope for tomorrow. Okay? Gives us hope for this week. Because the power of the resurrection. There's other verses, a multitude of other verses that will help us understand this and, and gain momentum in it more and more and more to glory in that. That's what God would have us to do. Is to glory in Jesus in that. That's what will happen throughout all of eternity, my friend. Heaven will be glorying in Jesus Christ and His resurrection. His victory. So, that's the second one. Okay? So we have the the promise of His return. And we have the power of His resurrection. Number three. And by the way, before I get to number three... We said for number one, we wait expectantly. We wait. And with the power of his resurrection, what ought to be our response to that? What we just did moments ago and what we ought to continue on through the day, and that is worship him. Worship him unreservedly. Okay? And this is something that I think we, as a group of believers... We ought to improve upon. We ought to get better at it. I kind of alluded to it at the beginning of the service. A lot of times we get stuck in a rut when it comes to worship. And it, again, don't forget, worship is not just about our morning on a Sunday. Worship is a life. It's a life. A lifestyle. Here's your, your approach to life. Is As a worshiper. I'm a worshiper of Jesus Christ. And there's no one greater. There's no one higher. There's no one stronger. There's no one who has done what Jesus Christ has done. He is worthy of our praise. Now, number three then is the... Here's what gives me hope. The plan or the purpose of his rescue. The plan or the the purpose of his rescue. This gives me hope. What is this business about his rescue? And what does it say here? Who rescues us from the wrath to come. Okay? Now, it might not be true of you, but it is true in our society, in America, that the emphasis on God is simply about God is love. And that has grown and spread in such a way that causes us to push away against things like God is wrath. We have good, wonderful, you know, brothers and sisters in Christ who will say, no, no, no. We don't, we don't really talk about wrath. That's, that, you know, we, we want to talk about God is love. Because that's what we've done. We've taken the idea and the truth and the teaching of God and put it in our filter and brought it down to God is love. And it's and then it gets seasoned in with our thinking. Our thinking about, well, God is love. And God, God doesn't mind. And it makes God out to be a big, wonderful grandpa that lets his children do whatever he wants to do. 
That's not God. There are so many verses in the Bible. If you'll take your concordance, get a concordance, a strong concordance, and look through it about God's anger. And it ought to shake every one of us about His anger. Because it's, it's, it's there. Now listen, this, what, how does this give me hope? This idea of His rescue from the wrath to come. Why does that give me hope? Because I've been saved. I've been rescued. But this gives me hope because this love, the love of God, has to be anchored in holiness. It's not just a, oh, God is love. Like we Americans try to define them. The love of God really is anchored in the holiness of God, the righteousness of God. Now, you must understand this. Okay, you, you, we, we've got to think through this. You know, so the typical argument, the typical argument, well, how could a loving God be a God of wrath? It's such a negative thing. That's what people get to thinking. They might not admit it, but that's what starts going in the mind because we can't figure it out. We can't put it together. How, and we go with that. I go with that. I, I, I want that to be the case. Why? Because then my friends and my loved ones, maybe they'll get into heaven. Isn't that what America thinks? America just kind of wops it all together and says, well, this person died and they're in such a better place now. And there's no real significant connection with Jesus Christ and the gospel that saves. And that's, that's one of the conditions we are living in in America. We define who God is. Wrong. Wrong. We do not define who God is. The Bible does. It's the Bible, the Word of God. It's living. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. Hebrews 4.12. And we've got to understand this issue I want to ask you a question. What would God be like if He were a God that did not hate sin? Just think about it. I don't want an answer here. What would God be like if He were a God that did not hate sin? When a friend of mine from college just found out about this um, earlier this month, a friend of mine, uh, his his brother already, they, their family had a baby die when she was little, a baby death. That was years and years ago. And then his his other his his brother died in college. And now just earlier this month. His other brother was murdered over in California. And so, if we are defining God like this, it's no big deal. You know, but God loves us. 
Right? Yeah, that's cool. Wayne Grudem has some very excellent things to say on this in his systematic theology book on on God's anger. What would he be like if he were this way? He would be a God, Grudem says, who either delighted in sin or at least was not troubled by it. If God didn't hate sin. If God didn't have anger against sin. He would, he would either be delighted in sin or at least not be troubled by it. And so the result is, such a God would not be worthy of our worship. Why? My friend's brother was murdered. And that was horrific. That shouldn't have happened because that's, that's evil. Sin is hateful and sin is worthy of being hated. Sin ought not to be. It is in fact a virtue to hate evil and sin. It's a virtue to hate evil and sin. And we, by doing so, rightly imitate this attribute of God when we hate sin when we feel hatred against great evil injustice sin but like I said before our great tendency is to think of sin in in shallow ways in shallow terms not that big of a deal God forgives us and um, so we we make it a, a, a light thing and thus our repentance ends up being shallow So, it's important that we understand the connection here between God's love and God's wrath. The work of rescue, because that's what we said the point is, here's the purpose of His rescue in verse 10, that is Jesus who rescues us from the wrath to come. There will be wrath that will come. It will come in the end times. And maybe this is the end times, maybe not. Maybe it's going to be 2,000 more years. But in the end time, God's wrath, which has been stored up, will be poured out on the rebellion and evil of man. If you're a Christian, you've been rescued from that wrath. You've been rescued. You've been saved from that wrath. Why? Because of what Jesus did for you. It's already a done deal. If you're not a Christian, you need to flee to Jesus for the refuge from the wrath to come. Okay? So, this is probably one of the greatest reasons to be thankful because of the work of rescue that Jesus did for you. And for God's glory. He did the work of rescue. The greatest reason to be thankful. Can you think of a greater reason to be thankful? Is there something greater than this? Because it's something that he did for God's glory. It's all about God's glory that Christ did this. And you, by believing 
are rescued, saved from that. You know, in our, if you go looking up the, about um, rescue efforts, you know, you'll hear, uh, I, I looked this up on the internet. Interesting. You look up rescue, and some of the first things you get are search and rescue things for dogs and cats. Well, yeah, good. Great. <laughs> I was kind of thinking I'd see stories about people getting rescued. <laughs> and you can find those, but it's like there's a plethora of dog rescues and cat rescues. Great. Okay. But the things that we see as, as rescues uh, of, of people, you know, um, the pilot that landed the plane in, in New York Harbor and saved all those people back in January of uh, two years ago, maybe. That, um, now he's a hero. And yeah, and he saved like 100, you know, 150 some lives that were in that plane. Um, there's other stories, but it's all limited. It's all limited. And here, what Jesus accomplished is for the ages. And it's something that you can have a great joy in, in being thankful for. So this work of rescue, as we wrap this up, this work of rescue had to have a perfect Savior who is the perfect sacrifice, right? And he brought about the perfect solution. Shed blood. Shed blood had to happen. A sacrifice. Blood had to flow. And it was his life that was perfect. Any other life would not have counted at all. So a perfect solution. And that in that shedding of blood, at the same time, here is the punishment of sin that he would take upon himself. He took the punishment for sin. And thus, it's all perfectly satisfied with God's wrath being perfectly satisfied. I hope you can piece that together. God's wrath is against sin and evil. And it will happen because He's a righteous, fair God. Wrath will take place. It already took place at the cross where the wrath of God was poured upon the Son of God. And it will happen again where wrath will be poured out on the rebellious, the the ones who have rejected Christ. But if you are a believer, you've been rescued from that because now God's wrath has been satisfied having been poured out on His own Son. We've got to let that linger a little bit, folks. His own Son. He poured out His wrath on Jesus so that you might be rescued and saved. And this is the concept behind the word propitiation. Jesus took on the wrath of God and suffered it so that we might be saved. And note that this rescue from the wrath of God includes both what we were delivered from, eternal punishment of sin, but when then we turn around and look at Romans 8, Verse 1, Romans 8, verse 1. Therefore, there is, what? No condemnation for those who are, key word, in Christ. 
And so, have you been rescued? We're going to wrap it up with that kind of a thought. Do you know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that you've been rescued from the wrath to come? If God is God, He will deal rightly, justly, and out of His anger for sin. And you and I, if we're saying we're His children, we need to follow in step as best we can, following in the Father's footsteps here, in Jesus' footsteps of saying, I I want to learn to hate sin in my life. How do you do that? (laughs) It's through His grace. It's by His grace. Ask God for His help in, in that. Jesus accomplished it, folks. And you and I need to grow to understand what it is to fear the Lord. That's a good thing. So let's learn about that and grow in that. And, and say, you know, <laughs> I'm thankful for my family. I'm thankful for the, the home that I have. I'm thankful for the blessings. But most of all, he rescued me from the wrath to come. And I hope that in your heart, you can say that. And that that's genuine because of what Christ accomplished for you. To provide refuge from the wrath to come. We'll be talking about it more as we go through First Thessalonians. It's not a done deal yet. Because <laughs> Paul brings it up again. Each chapter will mention this issue of the return of Jesus Christ. It may be today. Do you believe that? It may be today. So let us live our lives in such a way that shows our love and adoration for Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Lord, we ask that you'd uh, help us in understanding these things more and more. And then, Lord, we pray that you would um, please... Uh, help us to grow in our faith by watching and waiting in expectation of your return, by worshiping you because of the power of your resurrection. And Lord, by really warning ourselves and others of the wrath to come. Lord, thank you for the perfect work of Jesus at Calvary and in rising up from the grave. May we be a people who are uh, standing in, in the grace of Jesus Christ. Do your good work, we pray, and we bless your name and thank you for this Thanksgiving season. Help it, Lord, just uh, to carry on as a state of mind, not just a, a three-day, four-day weekend. <laughs> We thank you, Lord. You are good and you are faithful. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.